Hello and welcome to the Ski Podcast, um, the UK's, should we say, best Ian or um, longest running? What do you think? Both of those, definitely. <laughs> well, we'll just go with that then. Perfect. Um, right, so uh, we are supported by Switzerland Tourum. It is said, Ian, that Switzerland was introduced to skiing by one of the UK's most celebrated writers, Conan Doyle, so Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock's Holmes. It is said that in the 1980s he moved to Davos because uh, his wife was ill. Um, he started skiing um, when he got there because he saw it in Norway and really liked it. He found two other brothers that were also skiing in Switzerland, started writing about it in his newspaper column, and that is how Switzerland got skiing. There you go. I like that story, and I have heard that before, so, so I'm willing to accept that as the truth. Um, so... Um, this is a confusing episode. We were meant to be joined by Dave, who has just messaged me, and he was saying he thought it was at 8.45, not 7.45, or 8 o'clock. So um, we're going to hopefully be joined by Dave Burrows at some point um, during the podcast live. This is what it's all about. Um, but Ian, you're in the Pyrenees. How are you? Yeah, very well. Um, you know, Normally I'm in Brighton when we speak, but uh, right now I'm looking out my window uh, up at the ski area of uh, Cauteray in the uh, French Pyrenees where we've uh, just come for a, um, a, a brief half-term uh, ski. Magic. Um, coming up uh, in today's show, hopefully Dave Burrows will join us, um, we will be talking about these following resorts, Anzur, Cauteray, Bansko, Les Arcs and the Port de Soleil. Um, and there is a reason that Dave was going to join us because we've got an important um, announcement to make towards the end of the programme. Don't forget you can get in touch with the show um, all the usual ways. On Facebook you can find us, you can email Jim at the Ski Podcast or Ian at the Ski Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at the Ski Podcast. Um, Ian's on Twitter uh, at Skipedia and I'm on Instagram at the average skier dave burrows tells me he's going to be joining us live any second now so we've got the intros out the way we'll chat to him any second that would be exciting won't it don't forget to leave a review i wanted to say that um ian you asked me last time to check out the strikes oh yeah um and i can report that i didn't actually ski up and look down at majev to see if the ski lifts weren't working but by all reports that I've seen, no one was really affected by them. Um, here, where I live in Nacluza, there was people wearing some armbands um, and there was a protest in the centre of town to raise awareness uh, of this plight of losing their stuff. But there was no actual impact. They were very, very keen not to have any impact on, okay. on tourists. OK, that's quite interesting because I've been relating to a few people about... Uh, your very good point that you made in the last podcast about needing to make sure that your chairlift is maintained by someone who knows what they're doing rather than someone they've uh, they've just brought in for the day. Um, and hopefully it has raised some awareness of that. I did see that on the Saturday of last week, there was an Extinction Rebellion uh, demonstration at Chambry Airport. Did you see that at all? Um, I did read something about it, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, it, again, they were just bringing awareness uh, and uh, no one missed their flights and no flights were cancelled or anything like that. There's a nasty piece on Twitter of them being pepper sprayed by the uh, police to encourage them to move, which seemed a bit heavy handed to me. But none of that in resort, although I believe that you personally have been affected by strikes yep. currently today. Currently today, um, it's ruining um, the fresh powder day. Um, Ian, live news. Dave Burrows is here. Let's bring him in. This is exciting. I feel like we're having a proper broadcast. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing really good. Thank you very much. It's uh, and 
beautiful blue day, uh, bluebird day, snowed a bit yesterday, so yeah. Good, cool. remind me Dave, where you are, are you in Morja? I'm in a, I live in a place called Val de Lille, which is just on the way to a, um, a quite a famous resort called Champery. Yeah, uh, yeah okay, and okay. Uh, and yeah, so I'm I'm there. It's in a, it's in a, va- a valley called the Val Didier, which is part of the Port de Soleil. Yeah, and you're cool. excited, Dave, that it's snowed and it's not followed by rain immediately. That's been the uh, that's been the, the the story of this season, isn't it? It's been a really really weird one. Every time it's snowed, it's rained and just washed it all down the road. It's 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 been a really really strange season. And, that, and that's why instructors have those big um, uh, overall coats that you, you wondered what they were actually for. It turns out it's for that. Yeah, yeah. The instructors, especially every every instructor who is in one of those lower lying resorts, is going to have one of those big long coats. I personally don't wear one because the clients can't see your legs. So what is the point of it? Um, but then I'm actually taking the view that in in recent years that I ring up most of my clients on those rain days and I say, look, you know, it's just not worth doing it. So um, yeah, we we normally try to reschedule. But but yeah, it's been a bit difficult, especially with this this half term week that we're having right now. Um, just, just, oh, it's just difficult, really difficult when it rains, you know, it's not a nice experience. Well, well thanks Dave for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, join in at any point. You're not just a, a, you're not just a passenger on this show. You're, you're part of, part of it. Um, right. Let's move on with our first um, bit of information. Ian, you want to talk about snow aid in Australia. What's all this about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a fantastic uh, venture. It's actually been set up by a woman called Rachel Oaks Ash who runs a website called uh, Snow's Best uh, in Australia. And obviously I think everyone knows that uh, we've had, or they've had uh, very serious bushfires over there. So she has pulled together the uh, snow sports community. She's managed to get um, over hundred items uh, contributed for this auction. And it's basically run online now. It's pretty near the end, but there's some amazing um, items there. And I think at the moment they're getting close to $200,000 that she's raised and you can find it at um, well airauctioneer.com uh, forward slash snow aid Australia we'll put a link in the show notes but it's such a, a brilliant idea and uh, you know I really wanted to uh, to do a shout out for her and if anyone wants to get a bid in probably be over actually I think by the time this goes yeah, live the, did you look at any of the things uh, available there by the looks of it most of the things have one day left so when this pod goes out it's going to be a case of yeah. let's see what you could have won um, wh- <laughs> what could what could have we have what could have we have donated to this had anyone asked some stickers and um, a collection of um, rubbish ski yeah, books yeah i don't know how much a ski podcast stickers would go for i mean they're things like holidays to um i mean the top one at the moment as far as i can see is uh, eight nights in aspen which is going for uh, uh, just under 12,000 australian dollars or a trip to sun peaks in canada including flights probably from sydney for uh, for 10,000 uh, dollars but you know there's some some really, really good. Oh, there's one with 46 seconds, 46 minutes left. I feel like getting in there now. Threadbow, three nights for, you know, it's really good idea. And I'm just so impressed with how she's put it together. Just such a great idea. Um, I'm surprised Lidl didn't donate anything. Um, Dave, you could have donated something. What would you, you could have had a, a ski lesson with Dave Burrows. Um, add the yeah, you know, I've, done that. I've done that in the past for various other auctions and stuff like that. It, it doesn't probably raise enough money to put out any kind of uh, wild bushfires in Australia uh, for what people would uh, would would pay for me. But I did have my eye on the Julia Mancuso signed US ski team hat, which I thought was, uh, and there was no bids on that. So I was, uh, I was I was quite interested in that one. I'm glad it was a signed hat. I was worrying where that was going to go, Dave, for a minute. <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, so I don't know. I'm, I haven't been on anything, but I do know um, I do know the guy who's head of the ski school at Aspen Ski School, and uh, and I know that they've donated a whole bunch of stuff. Aspen itself, there's there's loads of stuff on there, and um, and to me, it's I think it's just brilliant what they've what they've what they've managed to achieve there. What I would like, what I yeah. would like to say. Oh, sorry, Ian, you carry on. Yeah, I was just going to say that they're not trying to put the bushfires out. It's actually for uh, um, to help. Um, wildlife rescue and re- rehabilitation, I think. Oh, well, my mistake. No, no, no. It's not, it was like, but, but, uh, but anyway, it's a great idea. Yes, we can. Yeah, agree Dave, on those kookaburras can't put out the fires themselves. They need someone to look after them. Uh, one thing I was sad not to see in the auction, I'll be honest, is um, the Fuzalp Rosignol jacket that um, uh, President Macron was sporting while he was up at the Mont Blanc. Um, uh, checking out the destruction caused by um, climate change. Um, did you anyone see this? Are you excited that um, they're going to step up their game and stop people climbing on Mont Blanc? That is very, very skillfully. Linked. It's literally the only reason I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, President Macron went to Chamonix to look at a melting glacier. I think you know we all know. I think we covered that in the last episode about how Chamonix is having its uh, warmest winter on record. Uh, but yeah, he announced a number of um, uh, climate change policies uh, for France. But I also found it very interesting that they are going to um, change the the rules about access to Mont Blanc itself. Because we covered uh, um, in what? episode 40, we talked about that bloke who carried the rowing machine halfway up Mont Blanc. Um, he was um, the person that Macron has been saying is that the, the cause of all the pollution up on the top of Mont Blanc. He hates him. It's worth Brexit alone. Exactly. That guy there who they called an idiot. That's the one. I have uh, I have certain issues to do with Monsieur Macaron himself anyway. Um, and his kind of, uh, his, his little photo shoot that he did. Because he's um, got the same jacket as you, Dave. He hasn't got the same jacket as me. I wouldn't have thought didn't. But, but my, um, my main issue with that I, I think is it's it's kind of timed, and a lot, I saw a lot of people sharing that on social media, and you know declaring the end of winter as as we know it. And there's no doubt that that glacier has receded over a long period of time. But actually, I think when you you live out here for a for a long time, you see kind of good seasons coming and going. Um, and it, you know this year is a particularly weird winter, like a weird snow year. Um, and and you know in any given kind of 10 year cycle, you'll probably have a couple of absolutely amazing powder years like we did in 2013, 14. Um, and, and I think maybe a couple of years ago was another one where it just didn't stop snowing. And then, you know, you'll have a couple of years where they're absolutely terrible. Um, and, you know, for example, when I first uh, see 20, 2009, 10 was an absolutely terrible snow year as well. That was really, really bad. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of this year. It hasn't snowed much. It snowed early and it didn't really snow again you know, significantly at all. Um, and you just it just goes like that. You know, next year might be an amazing winter. Now, there's there's no doubt that, that the glacier itself has receded that. that You know, I've been there myself. I went there with my daughter in, in the summer to, to, to go and have a look for myself. Um, and it's, it, it's weird. But, to, you know, for Monsieur Macaron to go there and get kind of, you know, a big photo shoot and, and, and kind of pursue his agenda. I think there's there's kind of bigger stuff 
bigger stuff at work than him. Yeah, I, I hate to break it to you, Dave, but the, these are politicians and uh, that's kind of uh, how they work a bit. I mean, I, I really was was more sort of interested in, in how that the mayor of Saint-Gervais, who we, you know, we spoke about before, is talking about limiting the number of people who can access the top of Mont Blanc which is less about uh, you know, climate change and more about controlling the environment in that area. And they're going to be asking climbers for, for proof that they've actually planned uh, their way up, that they have reservations, that they've got all the right equipment with them. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that seems to me to be a, you know, a reasonable uh, idea to try and keep people safe and limit the number of people and the amount of rubbish that ends up on the mountain. Do you think this ends up being rolled out down the, the Valley Blanche? Do you think it's where that will happen um, as a, a wider thing um, in the mountain area, not just for climbers? I think one of the issues is, uh, you know, for Mont Blanc itself, is that a lot of people, you know, are staying on the way. They're not necessarily doing one run in one day like you did when you did the Valley Blanche, which we uh, talked about in the last episode. You know, they're, uh, they're going up and staying in the refuges or sometimes outside the refuges and, and leaving... A lot of rubbish uh, along so the way. So a base camp scenario up at Everest, do you mean? Hmm. Yeah. Well, one, of yeah exactly. one of the issues with Mont Blanc, I think, is that it, it's not... I mean, I haven't climbed it myself, and I'm not I'm, I'm not an alpinist, so, so I wouldn't know. But from what I know is that it's a relatively easy mountain to climb compared to some some other stuff. So it's, it's quite achievable for a lot of people. And you've got guys going up there, you know, like a rowing machine on their back and trying to land planes and stuff on it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you're going up Everest, you need to get the right permits and stuff. Why wouldn't it be the same for, for more? Or do they just need to make or- it harder? Let's, let's be fair. If you're saying it's too easy, they just need to make Mont Blanc harder to climb, problem solved. Right, that's that done. Let's crack on to Anzer, where me and Dave went skiing. Here's our report. Well, no, well, Dave wasn't in it, he was just eating in it. <laughs> OK, podcasters, I've been sent to Anza for a day to come up and form an opinion if you should come here and stay. Right now I'm standing in the square, the piazza. It's covered in snow, quite like a snow-covered area. When I first arrived, there was a volleyball court, um, and that was about 6 o'clock last night, and it's not there anymore. They had a um, fire and a bottle of whiskey. It was very casual. I liked it. Um... What else did I want to say? Okay, so where I'm stood behind me um, is the restaurant Le Premier Pas. That has a sign that does not suggest the quality um, of the food inside. I ate there last night. It was very delicious. And then behind me um, is the uh, Zodiac Hotel, uh, whose sign and name accurately reflects the quality um, of what you'll find inside. But for now, we're going to go skiing. Um, so let's go and do that. And to find out where I'm going to go skiing, I have spoken to um, Justine from the tourist office and she's going to tell us a bit more about the resort. Even part. Um, I'm here I'm here in the tourist office um, since five years so yeah it's really interesting we have a lot of events during all the, the year even summer winter we have more than uh, 50 events so that's uh, quite interesting. Um, if you can hear any noise in the background, listeners, uh, it's Dave Burrows um, <laughs> eating a croissant very loudly. I'm not. It was that guy over there. <laughs> okay, um, let's start straight away. Um, why do you think skiing here in Alza is is so special? So uh, we have like 58 kilometers of slopes, so it's uh, quite a big uh, ski resort. Uh, there is slopes for everyone, for families, for. Uh, professional like you <laughs> I'm not a professional 
and yeah, it's really wild, you know, there, there is not a lot of, of people, it's not a, a busy ski resort, and yeah, for the family it's really perfect, because we have like a beginner, um, beginner uh, area, we have here one here in the um, village square, it's for free, or we have a second uh, beginner area in the top, on the top of the gondola, and it's like 10 Swiss francs for the uh, child and uh, 20 Swiss francs for the other. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, I ate last night in a restaurant across the road and I was surprised at um, the percentage of uh, British people in the restaurant. Do you get a lot of British people here? Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a lot of British people. They, they come all, all, also all the year. So, yeah, it's not that far. So we have a lot, also a good... Um, a public transport for coming here in Anzer. We are like 15 minutes from Sion. There, there is a, a train station, and after you can take the bus or rent car, and yeah, it's quite easy. Crazy. Dave, don't feel like you've got to stop eating. It's fine. I'm not eating. You can carry on. It's okay. Um, so. Um, <laughs> I'm probably not going to experience this because uh, I was here on my own last night and I don't like to go to pubs on my own. But um, obviously, um, this this um, podcast is for British people and you know they, they really like their apres ski. What's it like here? So, yeah, we have amazing apres ski. So, um, we have just down the slopes a few apres ski and that's just brand new ones. So, it's really cool. There's all, uh, always live music. Um, me and Dave are going to go full on holiday maker while we're here. So we need to know what's the best run to do. What's the best piece? The best slopes. I mean, I know you're going to ski touring later. You probably don't <laughs> even go near these pieces anymore. So the best slopes, you, you, it's the Lihus for me. Okay. Um, it's like a really wide slope, so it's just beautiful. You are like alone there. And it's really long. And near Lihus, there is also um, a huge, um, how do you say, sledge. Oh, slopes? yeah, I can see that on the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a yeah, massive yeah. luge run. Yeah, it's almost four kilometres of wow. slopes for a sledge. And it's the second uh, second one, the big, bigger in the valley. So. How many people get injured on that um, <laughs> annually? Oh, <laughs> I <None>. don't know. <laughs> no one. No one gets hurt. It's fine. Um, and finally, obviously, um, as you can hear, Dave likes to eat. Um, mm. Where should we go for lunch? Should we go somewhere on the mountain? I was thinking coming back... Um, down to the village to eat, but what do you reckon? Um, so we have few... You're contractually obliged to mention all of them? <laughs> no. <laughs> so we have few restaurants on the slopes. Uh, there is like Le Grenier de Talon. It's a small chalet on the slopes and they, they do some local food. You can r- eat really well. Uh, yeah, I suggest you to go there. Well done to Julianne. Um, she got it spot on. I can just see a squirrel, a black squirrel, running across the run underneath me. Incredible. Um, <laughs> it's exciting. That's the second one today. Um, but Hanzer, what a fantastic place to go and ski. It was so much fun. Um, the runs were wide, really well looked after. I mean, we're having um, not the worst season for snow, and it's, it's sticking around quite well, but they've worked hard. They've taken a lot off and off the side and put it onto the piste, and they were in incredible um, condition. It's a, it is a great place to go and cruise and do big carving turns on beautifully manicured pieces. And if that's what you're interested in, then, I mean, Anzur has got to be a place you want to visit. 
Um, it was purpose-built, um, but still, amazingly, looks like a, a beautiful, charming um, Swiss mountainside town. I mean, you can tell it was purpose-built, and then they put a lot of thought into it. But when you get onto the mountain, it is a lot of fun. I mean, there are a few tea bars, um, which are tricky, um, but other than that, you know, you'll have a, you'll have a wonderful time skiing there. Um, there's a few black runs, which uh, are pasted. So if you like a pasted black run, um, as opposed to a huge mogul field, then it's uh, a good place to visit for that. Down in the town itself, there's a lovely spa, um, uh, hot outdoors um, spa, which is um, well um, Dave, so that was our report for Anzer. Um My question is, Dave, do you think we were just lucky when we got there? In what way? I mean, it was a great... We rocked up, and that first run, it was big smiles on your face, my face... We skied solidly um, all morning before our wonderful fondue. There was no one on the mountain, and it was in tip-top form considering the temperature and stuff. Were we just lucky? Or do you think it's always yeah. like that? Well, yes. Um, the snow was fresh. It was cold. January was really cold, right? So the snow was snow was reasonably fresh, in really good condition. Um, I had a new pair of skis. It was, and actually, right, that's my favourite day so far this year that I've had. Um, I'm not saying it's all down to you, Jim, but it was uh, it was it was really really good. Um, yeah, we had a blue sky day. We had a lot of fondue. I think you know when all of the the stars align like that, you can have you can have a really really good day on the mountain. And I'm, I've you know in terms of this sort of concept of overall mountain experience, that was that was one of them. You know, all of these kind of things come together and, and make for a great day. Yeah, I liked it, and I was um, yeah really pleased. I said in the report. Julien got it spot on. Ian, we found this beautiful place for fondue overlooking the valley and no one else was really there. We had to trek to it secretly. Um, it was just one of those magical romantic moments. I feel like our relationship came a long way at that moment, Dave. Dave. <laughs> sure, sure did. There, so there were no hangry moments. Cool, and there, so there oh, were we no we had hangry an moments. We tried, we tried uh, to get lost. You'll hear, we actually recorded another thing about us being like punters on the mountain and we could have that in the summer, I think. But yeah, we did have an argument at one point about getting the peace map out on the road. Yeah, there was stick waving and uh, and kind of arguing about where we were and then trying to get to this restaurant. We couldn't work out where it was. We ended up like in the middle of this terrible off piece bit. And it was, yeah, but we found it in the end and then it was all all right. And, uh, you know, we were those people that you see on the piece quite often. It amazes me when, when people come on, on holiday skiing that there's so many arguments going on that you see. And uh, and we were we were those people. Like, I've all... I've always said that um, uh, a ski trip is a, a test of a relationship. Uh, do you find that, Ian? Well, when you've, when you've got two kids in uh, tow as well yeah. and you've got to get all their kit to and from the mountain, then it becomes more challenging. Just enjoy yourself! <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. bizarre the amount of stuff you have to carry. Well, my daughter's only three and I've only got one of them. So fair play to you, Ian. You know, I'm, I always look at the parents who've got more than one and they just look tired. But like the the... It's just the amount of stuff that comes, you know, my stuff is kind of neatly organised in one bag. But her stuff, is, it's just loads of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Loads. Well, as it is, if we can see, we, you know, I'm here with my family right now. We're in uh, Courtre in the French Pyrenees. And you mentioned the snow bit not being a vintage season. Obviously, December was really good. Uh, you know, we skied on the first day uh, here in Courtre, went up to the uh, Cirque de Lys. And, you know, I was probably expecting it to be pretty bad it's not a you know very big ski area here but actually we didn't have to queue for very long and the snow was in you know a reasonable shape there's there's coverage everywhere Courtre has a really good record for snow and I think one of the key things is when you're skiing 
with your family. Like if it was me or me skiing with my brother or someone like that, I'd be pretty damn disappointed. I skied here before and really enjoyed it. But when you're skiing with your family, you just want to be on the mountain in the fresh air. You know, the weather's been great. Yesterday, we went to uh, Grand Tourmalet, which is a 45-minute drive to get to Barège. Grand Tourmalet being, let's say, like the three valleys, you know, the air name for the area and the resorts within it are Barège and uh, La Mangie. It's a much bigger ski area, 100 kilometres. And we got there quite cold in the morning. Snow cannons were on uh, with this little strip of snow coming down to the uh, ski area. And I was thinking, geez, you know, this... Uh, this doesn't look good at all where I was saying, oh, but, you know, this is a this is a south facing side. It'll be all right on the north facing side. Don't worry. We went over to the top looking down into Le Mangie. And it looked like really sparse, really bare. And I was thinking, God, you know, this is this is not good. But having said that, we actually skied around and it turned out to, and the, you know, it warmed up a bit. We were there a bit and the, the ski softened up a bit. And we went to some of the north facing areas, went away from the blue slopes onto the, uh, you know, the reds where it's a bit steeper. You know, you've had fewer people pushing the snow out of the way. And it was really good. It was such a good day. You know, we had uh, we had a really good time and we didn't have we had none of those arguments you're referring to, uh, Jim, that sometimes crop up. We managed to eat at the right uh, times and um, found a lovely restaurant terrace, you know, sitting away from everyone else and a nice corner of the mountain that you actually had to walk let's say what 100 meters 200 meters up a hill to get to to get to this terrace so you're literally sitting on the top of a um a mini a mini hill uh, let's say and um yeah it's been it's been really good so far um, and we also went up the peak the peak de midi have you ever uh, done been there or done that uh, no i haven't um you put a 360 video on uh, on the old internet somewhere didn't you mean I think I looked uh, yeah, it's a photo. I got a 360 camera. They have one of these, um, you know how in the Agri de Midi in Chamonix you have the step into the void? Yeah. Um, yeah, the glass box, which has a big drop. Well, up on the Peak de Midi, which is 2,900 metres, so not as high, they've built the uh, Ponton dans le ciel, so the bridge in the sky. And you can walk out uh, about maybe 20 metres and uh, you have a massive drop uh, below you. And uh, yeah, spectacular view from there. And this is the, uh, they have a, an observatory up there at the Peak de Midi, which is constantly manned. They've got scientists up there, etc. Cool. I stayed there a few years ago. It might have been before we started the ski podcast. I can't remember. But you know, when I went there a couple of years ago, you could, I skied off the bat with a uh, guide. There's absolutely no way you could do that this year. Um, yeah, it's been, not been. They started off the same as us. Like it wasn't a different. Similar, it was been a similar snow season in the Pyrenees, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think when those storms came through, Dennis and uh, Kira, they missed the Pyrenees, so to speak. So they didn't bring any snow then. Whereas I think Dave, you've had snow. You know when those storms came through, right? right? Yeah, followed shortly by rain. But the, I thought the Pyrenees got absolutely um, dumped on about, was it not about three weeks ago? There was some, I saw some images of, of just like metres and metres and people having to dig themselves out of their house and stuff. Did that miss where you are then? I know you, what you're talking about, but it's longer than three weeks ago. Um, and, and it's been remarkably warm. You know, you had a, a, a mini uh, canicle uh, uh, heat wave uh, over here. So, you know, it was... Uh, well, in fact, you may have heard this terrible story about another resort in the Pyrenees called Luchon. 
uh, where they used a helicopter to move snow. Did you see that at all? I did. Everyone was really mm. cross about it, but it makes sense. If you've got to do it and save the jobs, you can't. It's, it's not the most environmentally friendly um, sport anyway, is it? Well, no, although as you, as we've discussed, there's many ways you can make it more environmentally friendly, but it, it does feel wrong. I think, you know, using a helicopter to, uh, to move snow seems the wrong way round completely. Maybe I mean, it's time to bring the, the mules back. They could transport the snow by a donkey, potentially. Okay, I'm all in favour of mules transporting snow, yeah. Bring back the Sherpas to the Pyrenees, that's what we need. Yeah. But, you know, this area of the Pyrenees, there's, there's plenty of snow to ski on. It's pretty thin. Um, you know, a few of the peaks are closed uh, for sure. But, um, you know, we've had a we've had a good time for sure. Sounds amazing. Um, it's where we're just doing like peace skiing, right? You know, there's, there's, there's no, unless you're in, uh, it looks like the US has got it again. You know, there's certain resorts where people are getting, you know, off peace skiing and stuff like that. But here in Europe, it's just one of those years. You know, you yeah, get your PTs yeah. on, you learn how to ski ice and and, and, ski, and that's what you focus on for the year. Yeah, and, and anyone who listens to this podcast on a regular basis, will know they, they'll know how to ski ice because you told us how to in episode 46. Hey, do, you, do you know what? Seeing as though Dave's here, it'd be rude not to ask him some questions. Um, Dave, I've got one question for you. When I'm skiing, like, I'm turning and when I go particularly to the to the right... Um, so my left is downhill. My skis are banging together at the tips. Why am I doing that? That is a great question. Um, and you'd wish I'd told you I was going to ask it. Yeah, thanks for ambushing me with that uh, this early in the morning. Uh, I I suspect it's probably something to do with the left and right difference on, on your body. So what you might have is one, a left foot or a right foot that is more skilled at rotating than your other foot. And maybe next time I see you, we'll uh, we'll have a look at this. There's stuff that we can do um, to, to to have a look. But for example, the other day, I was skiing with uh, skiing with a lady who could rotate her legs, keeping her hips still. I guess this is not very good audio, but the, the keeping her hips still, she could rotate her legs almost to kind of seventy degrees, turning to the right hand side, and then on the other side, she could barely do it, maybe ten, twenty degrees in terms of a, a sort of rotational range. And what that meant was that her turn to the right-hand side was absolutely um, brilliant and very, very skillful. And then there was something completely different going on on the other side. Um, and as ski instructors, this is something that we work quite hard on to, to reduce kind of left-right imbalances so that our turns are kind of, you know, identical on both sides. But, you know, I've got some old, for example, what personally, I've got some old injuries on uh, my left ankle, which then kind of goes up. A sort of chain through my through my knee and into my lower back which means i'm not as good off of my left foot as i am off of my right foot and it might be something like that you know it could be an old surfing injury or or you know something like that where you or, or you know it could be something to do with how you ride your surfboard that you're you're stronger on one side than the other and so if your tips are touching during the the turn on one particular side it might be that your inside leg is not as rotationally skillful in order to get that ski out of the way of the other one, if you see what I mean. Okay, so I... next time you go skiing. All right, thanks, Dave. Ian, do you got any questions for Dave to improve your skiing? I know you. I know you don't need it. He doesn't need it. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the thing is that uh, yeah, I know I could improve, but I'm not really that 
bothered about it. That's good though. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I I'm, personally, I feel like I'm obsessed with trying to get better. Um, to the point where you know I'm looking forward to half turns, so I can just do those silly little exercises while I go with the children on the slightly um, more tamer days. But I feel like I need to improve all the time. But I understand that you know you can just go. I'm happy with what I'm skiing, and I'm pretty pretty pleased with myself. There's no that's nothing wrong with that, is there? The mountain's different for everyone, isn't it? And and there's different ways of enjoying it. And I quite like Ian's approach. I get the impression that Ian's the kind of guy who just likes being up there, actually. I don't think he's that bothered about getting better. He's pretty, probably a decent skier already. And and the mountain experience for him is, is you know, just being up there in the nature and in the wild. And that's also okay. Good one, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, my ideal experience would involve better snow than this, but you, you, take, uh, you take what you've got, don't you? Um, how was the snow? Uh, we talked about Bansko uh, in the last episode, uh, Jim. Um, have you, do you want to tell us any more about that? Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we play my... Um, I've got a little report about the, the, the rise okay. of the history of Bansko um, and when I spoke to some of the people who um, helped develop the resorts. So let's listen to that first. Bansko was, uh, in the past, uh, was a very small resort, uh, when we took a concession for 30 years, we start to develop, of course, we built a new gondola mm -hmm. and more fortressly. At the moment we have uh, uh, took two six six lifts and uh, uh, six uh, four chairs lifts and few drugs lifts. In the past was only one three chairs lift and a few drugs lifts. That was the voice of Ivan Abrekov, the managing director of Ulan, the company that runs Bansko. As he said, before they took control of Bansko in 2000, there were a few drags and a rickety chair and limited accommodation. I'm talking to him in his office above the gondola that was built in 2003 and now takes thousands of skiers up the slopes each year. It's built on the site of an old factory and it's the reason that Bansko has thrived. Uh, yes, uh, Bansko as results uh, exists uh, since uh, 1976, but mm. very small uh, resort. And, uh, and that was just for local or just... And for local, but uh, in uh, 2000, uh, sorry, one, uh, 1986, there was a big race, big for this time. Uh, Balkaniada and the government, the previous government, uh, previous regime communist built three chairs lift, new one. In 1966, the first slope was built in the Pyrenees Mountains called the Thordok, a 3k run. There's actually no mention of any lift at the time as well. In 78, a modest school was built with some tow ropes along with a road to the ski area. And um, in Bulgaria, ski uh, sports are very popular. So mm. it's, uh, Maybe 1950. Uh, so how many skiers do you get here a year? Ah, uh, maybe, I'm not sure exactly, but I have to, doesn't matter, okay, between uh, 250,000 to 300. It's a lot. Only, yeah, it's a lot. In 86, Bansko was to host a giant ski race called the Balkanada. This kick-started some serious investment. They added four more runs to the resort, along with the chair, two drag lifts, and they even tarmacked the road. It carried on running like that for many years. 
but it was never the international destination it is now. Then, in 2000, 40 million euros was invested and it continues to grow. And with World Cup races since 2009, it will continue to make history. Today, the resort is looking to grow more with a much-needed second gondola as well as more runs. And in 2018, it was revealed that the new owner of the resort is ski legend Mark Giraldi from Luxembourg. Uh, he's the winner of 55 World Cups and five World Cup titles. So there is still a lot more to learn from this resort. And don't forget, I was in Bulgaria with Balkan Holidays. They helped me organise that trip. We've still got a few more reports from them. But if you're thinking about going to Bulgaria, based on um, any of our reports, do check out Balkan Holidays. Um, They are outstanding and they will look after you very, very well. So that was that. But yeah, what questions do you have about Bansko? You Obviously, both of you listened to the last podcast and my my in-depth report. Do you have any questions about Bansko? Anything I think really for me, know? when I listened to your last report, the thing that uh, that struck me was you were talking about queuing for an hour to uh, to get up the lift in the morning. You said they're planning to build another one. Do you know another gondola up there? Do you know when that's uh, they're planning to introduce that at all? Um, well, when they say they're planning uh, one, they literally are just planning it. They've got to, you know, go through the... <laughs> they know they need it. They want to do it. They've got to get through the process of being allowed. There's obviously... Um, people against it because it's uh, you know um, a beautiful mountainside and all that sort of stuff you know it's not just as straightforward as it is you would hope it would be is that so is that every day that you know that's how you have to start your day waiting for a long time to get onto the mountain yeah most of the days you do have to start like that but like like i said if you get um, a fast track pass you don't have to wait or they do have shuttle buses up there um right uh, and you know taxis are pretty cheap for 10 lev which is five pounds you could get a minibus a group of you up up to that that mountain point or you know i okay. I, got, I walked up at 11 o'clock and i didn't even need to use my um uh super super vip pass right okay i'm interested jim in the in the the culture of it so i've skied in various places around the world and and each one has like a different feel but in terms of bulgaria like how how does it how does it feel when you're skiing? Does it, I mean, does it feel sort of Balkan or Eastern or whatever? But or, you know, is it is it a completely different vibe to to what you ski normally in France? It's a totally different vibe. It's got there is those Eastern European vibes to it when you get there and stuff. But when you get there, it's really catered for just skiing. Like I said, any vice you've got, they will provide it. It's proper. They've thrown up the town. And everyone is there to try and make money, but also make sure you're having a good time. There's so many bars and stuff. It's just everyone's there to have fun. There's not a deep ingrained sense of ski heritage there or anything like that. It's just literally about cheap, good skiing fun. And that is the vibe you get from. There we go. Right. uh, Reviews. That's uh, next on the list, isn't it? Oh, no. We want to talk about Jamie Burrows. Tell us about that, Ian. Well, we can talk about it in any order you want to, but... um... You know, we keep talking about uh, um, Ski Sunday and whether it's worth watching. But to be honest with you, I had completely missed that our friend of the show, Jamie Barrow, had broken yet another world record. Um, This was featured on uh, Ski Sunday, I think, you know, last week. uh, Jamie Barrow, for those who who haven't been listening to the show since the very beginning, because I think he was involved uh, back in like episode three or four or something like that. Episode four or something. Was it right? Episode episode four. He was towed behind a car on a snowboard at 183 kilometers per hour, um, which 
wow, you know, is just uh, ridiculously fast. I think uh, Jim took the mickey out of me for being aware that I'd gone 90 kilometres an hour down uh, the Salia in Corsh Valley the other week. So he's going twice as fast as that, being towed behind a car. And as it goes, a car happened to be a Tesla as well, I noticed. A Tesla 3, it's I just think. A- just another Brit setting a bad example on Strava and uh, trying to cause <laughs> B issues, if I'm honest. Um, I'm just amazed that he managed to do it. So the, the, I used to snowboard a long, long time ago, and, and I remember doing it a little while ago, and I remember catching like a front side edge or whatever and just slamming my face into the snow. And I can't even imagine doing that at 183 kilometres an hour. <laughs> Still not, still not as fast as the, the fastest skier type behind a car, though. Which is, which is um, uh, Graham Bell, and he went 189 kilometres. Well, yeah. yeah, he does say Jamie Barron is tweet well, wasn't as fast as they wanted to go, but um, it's still bloody fast. And I think it's got to be harder on a snowboard than on ski, isn't it? Is it not a little bit oh, like yeah, wakeboarding? I presume he's got like a rope or something coming out of the, yeah, the, yeah. the back of the yeah, tester, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 But is it like wakeboarding? It's not like any wakeboarding I've done. <laughs> the fastest snowboarder, though, the fastest snowboarder goes um, is 203 kilometres an hour down one of those um, uh, flying K runs. You know what I mean? Uh, the speed ski runs. Right. Yes. So that's 203 kilometres an hour, to put it into perspective. He did it without it being towed by anything, just gravity itself. Yeah. And then obviously yeah, the, you know, the world record on um, skis is 252 kilometres an hour. So which pisses all over your 90 kilometres, Ian. Yeah. Oh, obviously, Jim. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a sort of fact I can uh, bring up. But I can. I know you like a, uh, a good link. He was towed behind a Tesla, which, uh, you know, generates no uh, emissions, assuming you charge it from uh, renewable electricity. And uh, when I was out in Les Arc, uh, recently, Les Arc is actually a resort where they uh, run all of their lifts on 100% uh, renewable electricity. I had a little uh, chat with a member of their uh, the Lifter company team about that. Okay, so uh, I'm here in Borg saint uh with Laura Kumar from uh, ABS, which is the uh, Les Arc uh, lift company. And um, well, I'm really interested in uh, how Les Arc uh, produce their electricity. It's uh, 100% renewables, is that right? Yeah, we chose a contract from 1% renewable energy electricity. Right, okay, and that contract is, you know, with your local, your electricity supplier. Do you know how it's um, generated, those renewables, what it comes from? Yeah, it comes from solar energy, uh, wind, and also hydroelectricity power. Right, okay. And that runs all of the lifts in the in the Lazark uh, region, all, all yeah? All the lifts, but also other things. And... Um, every inspection facilities we have on this area. Okay, cool. And um, you mentioned before that you're also looking at uh, generating your own renewable uh, electricity. Yeah. How, how are you going about that? So we are trying to produce our own electricity uh, with our facilities. So that's why we decided to put 60 PV on uh, the Aiguille-Rouge um, cable car. Yeah. Uh, and Vara Cable Car as well. And for every new project, we will study um, the capacity we have to make PV or to try something else to produce our own electricity. That's great. So 
PV, the word we learned today, photovoltaic uh, panels. So you've got you know, solar panels on the top of the cable car station there. And um, I, you know, I can imagine that they just, apart from a day like today perhaps, I don't know how high the clouds go up, but they see a lot of light up there. So they'll be, they'll be generating a lot as well. And another thing you mentioned to me before, which I found really interesting is, um, obviously snow cannons are really important in any ski resort uh, these days. But you're, you're looking into like a hydroelectric experiment with your snow cannons? Yeah, we are trying to produce uh, electricity with the water we are using for the snow maker. Right. Um, so we are trying to do this and uh, I hope uh, I will tell you more uh, at the end of the winter. Yeah, well, I mean, that sounds like a really interesting experiment. So the idea is it comes down from the reservoir where all of the meltwater um, is used meltwater for the uh, for the snow cannons yeah, and, uh, and, and rainfall, etc. It comes down from the reservoir and as it comes down into the snow cannons, it's going to generate electricity itself. The speed of the water will generate electricity yeah. for um, our snow makers. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, you know, I'd definitely be interested in finding out how that goes. Um, thanks so there was no much, mice uh, um, powering the wheels or anything like that? All just comes, comes organically? I mean, it might have been that sort of Wizard of Oz thing behind the scenes. They had loads and loads of hamsters in wheels or something like that. But I'm pretty sure that genuinely uh, yeah, they use uh, renewable electricity to power all their lifts. Um, what about uh, the Port de Soleil, Dave? Is that an eco-friendly resort? Do they make that an effort? I don't know much about the French side, but um, they in Switzerland, a lot of our electricity here comes from hydroelectric power. So there are dams everywhere. Um, I, th- I can't remember. It's a very, very high percentage um, comes from um, comes from 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 hydroelectric. Um, the bit that I really took out of that is I, I, I don't understand. I've never really understood the amount of sunshine that we get up here. Um, so, for example, I'm in Canton Valley, and they say that we get 300 days of sunshine a year. Um, and a lot of the houses around near where I live have got solar panels on the roof, and I just installed some on the top of my garage um, as well to sort of take advantage of that. Um, and I I don't understand why there isn't a solar panel on the top of every pylon, uh, every every lift thingy. Yeah. Pylon. I don't understand why yeah. the panel is on the top. Yeah, of I'm 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 not an expert on that, but I think that the size of the array is quite uh, important. That that there's a like an economy of scale. The array being the number of panels that are connected together at a single time. So the bigger the array, the more efficient it is at producing electricity. But you, you, you've definitely got a point there for sure. It makes sense. You know, I don't. I, in in this particular respect, because I, I'm. We, we just talked earlier about kind of Monsieur Macaron and and his agendas and whatnot. But I don't understand why every new, um, you know, construction of apartments, for example, in ski resorts that go up, isn't forced to have solar panels on it somewhere. You know, or indeed every every new house in I don't know the UK or wherever. You know, it should be it should be mandatory. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the spec for new development of property anyway these days is much higher than it than it used to be. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure that it's mandatory. But you've got a you've got a valid point there. Yeah, they've sure. done it for calculators. Why not houses? Yeah. Why not houses? Why not new apartments? Why not you know ski lifts? You know, if we're all trying to do our bit, and I know you've got this campaign going right, Ian, where, where you're trying to trying to reduce people flying to, to, to ski, then why isn't the ski resort doing its bit as well? 
I just don't understand why every house isn't covered in in, in solar panels. Yeah, I mean there aren't really that. Uh, yeah, I mean there aren't really that. Uh, well, I think that we'll find that uh, newer developments tend to uh, focus on sustainability. And it, interestingly, one of our listeners, Matt Hayes, who um, you know tagged us uh, and also the ski flight free campaign that you're mentioning there in a, another post elsewhere on Facebook. He asked whether we could do a sustainability uh, special, uh, like a one-off about sustainability. And I think maybe we should, you know, uh, aggregate everything into there. I mean, that we did do that uh, uh, one special show uh, with the interview with Chris Moran. And we have an Avalanche special coming up uh, as well at some point, which I think is going to feature you, Dave, quite heavily as well. You and Jim did a lot of work together, didn't you? Dave, did dig a massive hole. Then told me to lie in it. And started covering me with snow. It was bleak. <laughs> yeah, but 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 I'm right, Jim. That we we have a, a you know a, a, an idea to release an avalanche special uh, at some point. That know, is indeed track, right. Because right? um, yeah, we asked someone asked us about it, so we did. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to chip in at this point. You know, we interviewed. Um, Caroline Elliott a few episodes ago, who is the owner of uh, Fjord, the search and um, rescue dog. That was in episode 47. And we've got some other, um, you know, an interview with her to include in that special. But um, sadly, I have to let you know that her dog Fjord has recently died. Um, I don't know any of the details about it other than that she sent me a, a, an email. Um, so that's, um, well, you know, I'm, we're... we're Thinking of her, and yes. Fjord. It's really yes. sad. I lost my dog two years ago, and I'm still gutted about it. So, uh, yeah, it's not it's not an easy one. Um, yeah. So, let's crack on with reviews, just like the one show would. They segue straight away from uh, something like that into something completely different. So, let's do some reviews, shall we? Okay. Um, well, Frank, who we uh, I mentioned, um, uh, sorry, Matt Hayes, who I mentioned just then, said uh, episode the last episode was one of his favourites yet. A great banter, insight, and potential for legal action. I wasn't entirely sure what he was referring yeah, to. I didn't there. know either. What have you done, Ian? What did I say? It's probably something I said, I expect. Well, I wondered, I wondered whether it was your hangry moment in Valdez. Oh, you think, uh, uh, you think Switzerland tourism is going to be crossed with my, uh, my review of Geraldine? Um, sorry. What is it? wasn't Geraldine. I keep thinking it's called Geraldine from this place that's very similar in New Zealand. Uh, well, you did do a good summary. We also got a, a message from Evelyn. Um, a Carolyn. I don't know her surname, but she says, I just wanted to say a big thank you. I'm a technical outdoor clothing designer uh, working on a big ski wear project at the moment. I've just discovered your podcast. I'm really enjoying listening to the Alps vibes from my studio in the Lake District. Uh, big Alps vibes coming right now. Hi. I'm waving. Don't need to. Um, was that it as well? Is that all our reviews? Oh, there's one from a guy called Craig. He says he goes uh, well, to the podcast the and he gives her five stars. Um, and he's got a question. Are you prepared to answer this question, though, Ian? Can you answer this question? Wow. Do you want, well, do you want to ask it and I'll see if I can answer it? Dave, you might know the answer to this. You've skied around the world. He's heading to Barcelona from Canada and he's looking to try and get two or three days of skiing. He's 30 years old. He's travelling alone. Um, he will not have a car. And he, he wants, so he wants to use public transport. What resort would you recommend um, for someone based in Barcelona without a car? I mean, I've not, I've not skied that area. I don't really know. I'm guessing, I'm guessing um, that place. Any ideas? Ba- Bakira. Bakira? 
Yeah, Bakira Beret, it will be the obvious choice because you can get there direct from uh, Barcelona. It's it's in the Spanish Pyrenees. It's you know, favoured by the Spanish King of Spain. You know, you, I don't know if he still goes skiing there, but he used to go skiing there. So um, we'll put a link into the show notes. Bakira Beret. Spain still um, has a yeah, king. Good, wow. good ski resort. Dave, anything on that? Yeah. I've got a colleague of mine called uh, Scott Clever who runs something called Inside Out Skiing out of uh, out of the Hemel Hempstead um, Snowdome. And he runs trips to Europe and he goes to Berkira Beret quite often and he thinks it's brilliant. So uh, so that's going to be my endorsement for your, your choice here. Excellent. So, Excellent. There we go. That's our reviews. And let's um, end the show on a really exciting note. Are you excited, Ian? Uh, well, tell me what the note is and then I'll tell you whether I'm excited. Um, it's going to be a B minor. Dave, are you excited? Uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> well, the reason Dave Burrows is here is because we want to invite you, listener, to come skiing with uh, the Ski Podcast and Dave Burrows Snow Pro Ski School. Ski School. Oh, my word. Ski School. Um, and it's going to be a communal ski session. And we're inviting you next year if you want to come. Dave, what's the details? So um, the idea is that we're going to put a trip um, uh, together where we're going to invite listeners to the or, or to the ski podcast to come out um, and ski with us. So we're putting in place um, a package that includes bed and breakfast accommodation, um, skiing, um, a skiing lesson for, for everyone that goes, individual skiing lesson and some group guiding um, as well as maybe some uh, chance to meet Jim and Ian um, as well, um, and, uh, and and that the, is worth a lot. You got to you got to consider that. Really <laughs> worth the price of the entrance alone. But uh, but yeah, um, what we what we've done is we've put together um, some details, and I'm sure that's going to be without pushing to steal Ian's thunder. That's going to be in the show notes. Um, but it's, uh, well, it's you can't be- steal his catchphrase. Come on, <laughs> sorry, You've been here a day. Um, that's going to be a, a, a super trip. Um, it's going to be, I think, in March next year. Um, towards the end of March, it will be skiing in the sunshine in a pretty little Swiss resort. Um, and I just think it's going to be a, a really good chance for, for, for you guys to meet um, meet everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll see, see how it goes. And we're opening it up to single travellers. It's not just for people with couples. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's true. Um, we've done the pricing. So if you've got no mates, you can make some new mates like us. Yeah. New cool ski mates, right? Um, so uh, yeah, we yeah couples, singles, whoever you are, you know, if you want to come, um, we've got something for you. So uh, I've got a great team of instructors already waiting to show you around and uh, and and to give you some some uh, lessons if if you want them. That's exciting. Um, my uh, my less responsive left foot is really looking forward to it. Great. Well, we will. Um, what are we asking people to do then, Jim? How do um, just uh, stick your hand up right now. Yeah. How do um, they we'll count everyone. You know, find out more or let us know they're interested? That's one, two, three hands I can see. That's a success. I will definitely <laughs> be there. Um, so, yeah, if you want, you can email jim at theskipodcast.com um, and I will put your name down and send you more details. But also there's a website um, link. Um, it's on the Ski Podcast website, isn't it, Ian? You've put together a... Uh, yes, it, it will be. What we'll do is... Um... I'll put together a blog post and put it live on uh, the ski podcast. And I think it's going to cost around about 873 chuffs. Uh, and I believe with that includes the lift pass, the, the ski tuition 
and your food um, in the mornings and the evenings. And obviously, you get um, all our exciting chat and banter. And, you know, in the evenings, I think we're going to do some stuff as well. We're going to have a movie night, maybe, or um, uh, an avalanche training session. I believe that's correct. We are such professionals. This is why we run a ski tour operation. I think the idea was to put in place some lectures or something each evening or something uh, as well. So, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it's it, it, hopefully we're going to get lots of people interested and and, uh, and then we can have a kind of a great big ski podcast meet up and, uh, and, and ski together as a, as a community. I think it's going to be really cool. And nothing else. I'm going to see if I can get all the Daves that have appeared on the show and that'll, that'll fill the chalet. All the Daves. That'll be good. All right, guys, I'm going to go skiing myself in the French Peronese right now with the family. So we'll have a nice time. See, good, I'm going to go skiing too. I'm going to, we'll I'm going to take my proactive time. right leg for a ski. Dave? <laughs> I'm going to go and meet a good friend. I've, I've got a, a random day off in the middle of uh, half term. All my other instructors are working. So I'm going to go and meet a friend of mine for lunch. Amazing. Right, everyone have a good ski. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care. All right.